have your Bibles, I'd like you to turn to the Gospel of Mark, chapter 9. Gospel of Mark, chapter 9. I want to start off this morning not with reading the Scripture. We'll get to that in just a moment. I want to talk for just a moment about heaven. I look forward to heaven. I really do. Some days I look forward to heaven more than other days. Maybe you've had days like that. You thought to yourself, today would be a good day to go to be with Jesus. We all have days like that. I find tremendous comfort in knowing that because Jesus is the Lord of my life and my sins are forgiven, when I die or when He returns, I will spend eternity in heaven with Him. I am looking forward to heaven. In heaven, death will never separate. In heaven, hearts will never break. And in heaven, hope will never waver. How many here are looking forward to heaven? Let me see your hands. I think almost everyone. Now, of course, we know that we need to die to get there or Jesus will return, but but we're looking forward to heaven. Here's the thing. That is, however, only one of two final destinations. For a while, there is a place called heaven. There is also a place called hell. There is a place called hell. This morning, I want to tell you about hell. I want to talk about, share from God's Word about hell this morning. I got thinking, Lord, they're, they're going to honor us, pastor's appreciation, and I'm talking about hell, but this is what he puts on my heart to preach as we're working our way through the gospel of Mark. I want to share with you about hell. I'm going to share with you about hell because the Bible says a great deal about hell. The Bible says a great deal about heaven, but the Bible says a great deal about hell. In fact, Jesus spoke much about hell. Some of you, that may be a bit surprising. Jesus talked a great deal about hell. If you were to take the, all of the red letter verses uh, in some editions of the Bible, some manufacturers, printers of the Bible, uh, some of them will print Jesus' words in red. It'll, it's called a red letter edition. So if you're going through the Gospels, in some places in, in Revelation, <clears throat> some places in, in, uh, in the book of Acts, you, you will see Jesus' words. If you were to take just the red letters or the red verses, red letter verses, and you were to determine all of the things that Jesus talked about by verses, the subjects that Jesus talked about the most, the thing that he talked about the most, if you looked at all of the verses that he spoke, that we have recorded, of, he, of what he spoke, the first thing was the kingdom of God, of which heaven is a part. He talked a great deal about the kingdom of God, how the kingdom is coming or the kingdom is here. The kingdom, and again, that part of that is heaven, but the kingdom of God, you understand, does not begin when we die and go to heaven. The kingdom of God begins now. It begins in people's hearts. Many of you have the kingdom of God within you. Most of you have the kingdom of God within you. The thing that he spoke about secondly the most was hell. Now that may be a bit surprising to some of you. Jesus talked more about a place of suffering and judgment than he talked about prayer. And he talked a lot about prayer. 
He talked more about hell than he did prayer. He talked more about hell than he did faith. He talked more about hell or a place of judgment or a place of suffering than he talked about discipleship. Jesus talked a lot about hell. I, I look at it this way, and I'm going to get back to this in a moment, but I look at it this way that, that it's kind of like, you know, at our house there's this one <clears throat> step at the end of our, of, our, of our patio in front of our house, and I always tell people, I always tell people, hey, there's a step down, as they're leaving, there's a step down there. I don't want you to hurt yourself. That's why Jesus talked about hell, because he spoke of it not with delight, not with glee, but as a warning to people because he loved them, he cared for them, and he didn't want them to, to go to hell. Jesus talked a great deal about hell. I was speaking with a man, this was a number of years ago, I was speaking with a man who <clears throat> professed faith in Christ. Um, we were talking, and yeah, he's, I'm, a, I'm a believer, I've given my heart to Jesus. And then he went on to say, but I don't believe in a literal hell. I said to him, so you're calling Jesus a liar. And he looked at me and he says, why? I'm, I wouldn't. I said, but you are because if you say there isn't a hell and Jesus said there was a hell, then either you're wrong or you're calling him a liar. Jesus talked a great deal about hell. Hell is a subject that is frequently avoided. The, 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 the term hell or, or the subject of hell is one that a lot of people just kind of shy away from. In some churches, it's rarely or never mentioned. There are churches in this community that you will seldom, if ever, hear any warning about the other ultimate destination. Some just avoid it altogether. They some believe it's too judgmental or it's too harsh or it's too disturbing, makes people uncomfortable. And it does. A recent uh, Barna poll, Barna is a uh, polling agency that uh, really asks a great deal about how people live and their beliefs, what, what they value and so forth. The most recent Barna poll on this, I think it was 2014, revealed how 42% of Americans, we don't know about worldwide, but 42% of Americans believe hell is either not real or it's merely a figurative place. So they, they say, well, it, 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 there is no hell. It's, it's just a, a story, a, a fable, a fallacy. Or it, there is a hell, but it's figurative. Hell is here on earth. Hell is in certain places. Hell is when you go through real hard times. That's, that's the hell. 42% believe that hell is either non-existent or it's, not, it's just a figure, figure of speech. And, and, and many of those, the, the 58% who, who say that there is a hell, uh, many of that percentage believe that uh, there is a hell, but, but it's reserved only for those persons they consider the worst of the worst, like terrorists and child molesters, and cruel dictators, and, and mass murderers who shoot and harm or blow up or hurt or maim lots of people. That, yeah, there has to be a hell, many say, for, for them, because they're, they're, they're the worst of the worst. And so, yeah, those people should go to hell. Yes, there is a hell, but not for your average person who's 
Jesus here in Mark 9. You have your Bibles in front of you. You'll see some of this on the screen as well. Jesus in, here in Mark 9 was speaking to his disciples. And in verse 42, he said this, Whoever causes one of these little ones who believe in me to sin, it would be better for him if a great millstone were hung around his neck and he were thrown into the sea. Hold there for just a moment. Again, he said, whoever causes one of these little ones. A few verses before, uh, we, we assume that, that when he says one of these little ones, in a few verses before, Jesus had taken a little child on his lap. And so we think verse 42 is he's referring to children. And that, that's, that's, that's very plausible that, that he's holding his child. And he's saying, if you, whoever, it doesn't matter who it is, but whoever causes one of these little ones, these impressionable, one of these little ones to stumble, to believe, who, who believe right now in me, but, but to sin, it would be better for that person if they had a, a heavy stone tied around their neck and they were thrown into water that was far deeper than they could ever again surface. And he goes on, the next verse he says, And if your hand causes you to sin, cut it off. It's better for you to enter life crippled than with two hands to go to hell. He uses the word. And then he adds, to the unquenchable fire. He goes on, if your foot causes you to sin, cut it off. It is better for you to enter life lame than with two feet to be thrown into hell. The second time he uses that. He goes on, if your eye causes you to sin, tear it out. It's better for you to enter the kingdom of God with one eye than with two eyes to be thrown into hell. And then he quotes from Isaiah, where their worm does not die and the fire is not quenched. Jesus here in these few verses, this is just a few of the times, a few of the verses of the like 172 or something like that, verses in the, in the New Testament. This is just a, just a few, just a handful of verses where Jesus is talking about hell. And what he's saying here is that radically removing something here, here, and, gaining, and yet gaining eternal life is better than not dealing with something here and suffering in hell for an eternity. Now, the, the big question is that people saying, well, does that mean that we're actually supposed to cut something off? Well, he didn't, he didn't say it was figurative. I want to be careful that we don't say oh, it's figurative because he did say it. I do know this, that if your one hand offends you, you can cut it off. And then, and then, and then, like, say you steal something, you cut it off, and then, boy, I'm not going to steal again, and then you steal. You, you know you can still steal even if you have no hands. The problem is more in the heart. If your eye offends you, you see someone, you lust after them, and so you, you pluck it out. you still got one eye, and, and, and you sin again, you lust again, and boy, pluck out the other one. You know what? you still got a sin problem. It deals with the heart. So I, I, I would not recommend that you start plucking and cutting what I would say is deal with the heart. <laughs> and, 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 and so if there is something that is causing you to sin, get rid of it. If there's something in your home that is deadly, if there's something in your home that is spiritually despicable, get rid of it. Just get rid of it. 
If there's someone, if there's someone in your life that you're hanging around that is bringing you down all the time, I would rather you cut off that friendship and live for eternity with Jesus rather than that person pull you down and you eventually end up in hell. That's what Jesus is saying here. He says, get radical. Get, get, get firm with some things. And if you have to, just, just you can cut them off. This isn't the only time, of course, that Jesus spoke about this kind of thing. And Matthew chapter 7, verses 13 and 14, Jesus said this, Wide is the gate, and broad is the road that leads to destruction, and many enter through it. Destruction being spiritual destruction, hell, ultimate spiritual destruction. Wide is the gate, broad is the road that leads to destruction, and many, many people enter through it. But small is the gate and narrow the road that leads to life, and only a few find it. That statement there, while it's true, it's to me very disturbing. Because you know what this is telling me? The verse that you have in front of you, that verse is telling us, Jesus is telling us that of all of the people in the world who end up, of course, everyone ends up in an ultimate destination, heaven or hell. This world can be divided a lot of ways, men, women, skin color, language, location, geographic, and so forth. Ultimately, it's do you know him or don't you know him? Where are you going to go, heaven or hell? Jesus here is saying that there are more people who are going to go to hell than to heaven. And I don't like that. That's disturbing to me. I'm not disagreeing with him. I'm simply saying I don't like it. Because that means in any crowd of people, I don't think this crowd, because the fact that you're here doesn't mean that you're a follower of Jesus Christ, but it means that you're hungry for him. And we'll give you opportunity later for that. But it means that almost any place you go, any gathering of people, there's a very good chance that what Jesus said here applies to there. Your school, maybe your place of work, sadly in some homes. Jesus said this. It's incredibly disturbing. Now, now you may have been asked, I have been asked this, maybe you have wondered this, how could a loving God send people to hell? Have you ever heard, had someone ask you that? You know, they shake their head, oh, you know, talk about hell. How can a loving God, how could a God who created us, how could a God who loves us send someone to hell? It's a common response when hell is mentioned. How could that happen? Why would he do that? I've actually been asked that probably well over a hundred times. No, a couple of hundred times. Maybe you've wondered it, maybe you've heard it, you've heard others ask it. To a point, I agree. To a point, I agree. Because if God randomly selected a small percentage of people to go to heaven, and he randomly selected a large percentage of people to go to hell, that would be an incredibly unfair God. 
If God just said, all right, this section over here is going to heaven and the rest of you are all going to hell. All the people over here and all the people in the balcony, sorry you didn't sit over here. That would be an incredibly unfair God. That would be a God who does not demonstrate his love. Because if God did not provide a way of escape, if God did not provide a way of escape for the rest of you, if that kind of judgment was sure and that kind of judgment was certain, he would be a cruel God. He would be a God to be feared and he would never be a God to be loved. If he just randomly said, you're going to heaven and you're going to hell. I agree. That would not be a loving God. Here's the thing. He did provide a way of escape. Amen. He provided a way of escape. God sent his only son to die for our sins, to give us an escape from eternal destruction. He gave us a way out. You may know this verse. It's very well known. John 3.16 says, For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only Son so that whoever believes in him shall not perish but shall have eternal life. That best-known verse in the best-known book in the world tells us that God gave His Son and Jesus gave His life so that when we believe in Him and we serve Him, we will not suffer eternal damnation, but we will have eternal life. Right there, in the middle of the verse, this most well-known verse, Jesus is actually referencing hell. And he said, but God, speaking of himself or his father, he said, God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son, referring to himself, so that we shall not perish. That perish word, that's, re that's referring to hell. He's not talking about having a bad day. He's not talking about, you know, some kind of holding place for a time and then it gets better as somebody pays or somebody prays more to get you. No. He's talking about eternal damnation. He's referencing hell, but he also then gives the promise. He gave his only son so that whoever believes in him will not perish, but will have eternal life. When we believe in him, when we serve him, when we surrender to him, we will not suffer that eternal judgment, but we will have eternal life. Come on, isn't that good news? That is great news. That's why I love that verse so much. That's why many of you love that and have committed it to memory. It's a good one to do so. Because it talks about one of two places, but there's a way out. That is a God of love. So if someone tells you, if someone tells you that God is too loving, <coughs> excuse me, to send someone to hell, tell them he is loving. <laughs> so loving that he sent his only son to die in our place and paid our way out of hell. I love it when people say, oh, a loving God would never do that. I say, you're partly right. And let me tell you the way out. It's a great opportunity. Man, I just gave you a tool. 
If somebody says that to you, you let them have it. You go to that verse, that verse that many of you have memorized, and say, he did give us a way out. He is a loving God. He loves us so much he gave his one and only son. The simple truth is that Jesus' words here in John 3.16 and in Mark 9, the Bible's repeated references to eternal judgment serves, as I mentioned a little bit earlier, serves as a warning of the consequences of disobedience. It serves as a warning. Every time that Jesus mentions eternal damnation, eternal judgment, eternal destruction, destruction implies that there is an end, but it's unique in that it is a destruction that is perpetual. In other words, the suffering doesn't end. The judgment doesn't end in hell. It lasts forever. There's a part of me, there's a part of you, there's a part of everyone that is eternal. The body's going to fade away. body's going to go back to dirt. When we get to heaven, we're, we're going to get a new body, but every one of us are going to live someplace forever. And this serves as a warning to us. And we're not to ignore that warning. There are eternal consequences to sin. Let me say that again. There are eternal consequences to willful disobedience to His plans and His purposes. There are eternal, can we say this? I want you to hear it so clearly. There are eternal consequences to the choices that we make. It's not simply, I did a boo-boo, it's bad, I'll get over it, everyone will get over it. There are eternal consequences to the choices we make to either reject Him or accept Him. Joni and I live in a, a nice neighborhood here in town. Most of the neighborhoods are nice here. Most of the houses in our neighborhood are well-maintained, as are the yards. There is, however, um, not far from our house, uh, a home, a house, that has been vacant for uh, several years, two or three years now. No one has lived in the house. Um, the house needs paint, but it, it, doesn't look, it doesn't look too bad. Um, there, is, however, one, there is, however, one thing that deeply bothers me. Um, beside their driveway... Uh, there is a mailbox. Their mailbox, it is, it is broken. Here's a, here's a picture of uh, that mailbox. It's just, a, just a sh not too far from our house. You can patrol our neighborhood later and find it. But um, the picture really doesn't do it justice. The, uh, the holding bracket uh, is broken. It's been this way for a couple of years now. Uh, it's hanging askew, as you can see. The pole is bent. It's extremely bothersome to me. Let me just explain. It's, it's bothersome to me because I'm slightly obsessive-compulsive. I, I like order. I not only like order, I require order, and um, I, I, which is fine. You know, my, my, uh, my uh, uh, mailbox is very straight, but my neighbor's is, is not, and it really bothers me. When I first saw this, this actually used to look worse. It actually tilted all the way forward. It's just hanging down. It was straight down. You couldn't put mail in it. It would just fall right out, I'm sure. 
And it really bothered me, uh, and uh, it really bothered me a couple of years ago when it was first this way. When I first noticed it a couple of years ago, I told Joni, <laughs> I said, <clears throat> I'm going to go knock that thing down and throw it in the back of my pickup. I said, I'm going to do that. And she said, don't do it. Joni said, don't, don't you do that. I said, I'll do it at night. She said, don't do it. I said, it'll, 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 it'll be dark. Um, uh, no one will see. She said, someone will see you. Dave Schultes will probably walk by and see this, right? <laughs> Dave and Julie Schultes, uh, I, I, I got pulled over years ago, and they were walking by right when it happened. And <laughs> it was a taillight burned out, okay? I'm just saying. <laughs> Joni said, someone will see you. I said, I'll do it during a blizzard. No one will see me during a blizzard. She said, don't do it. That, that's destruction of property. And then she added this. She said, it's a federal crime. And it is, you know. She said, it's a federal crime to mess with anyone else's mailbox because it's, it's tampering with mail. That's federal stuff. And, 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 and then she said this. She said, if you mess with that mailbox, you could go to jail. I hate it when she's right. It just, just bothers me. So even though I want to, I've chosen not to. It's been this way for a couple of years now. Even though I want to, I've chosen not to because I don't want to suffer the consequences. Because tearing it down and making myself feel better for the moment could have a penalty of something that I don't want. Now, it's not a perfect illustration. I want you to understand that God's laws and His eternal principles that go from the beginning of the book to the end of the book are infinitely more important than laws regarding personal property. But I want you to hear me on this. We must never forget that there is a penalty for disobedience. There's a penalty for disobedience. I don't want anyone to go to hell. I don't want to go to hell myself. And I'm really grateful in one sense that hell serves as a warning. Because it keeps me at times, it keeps me at times from doing things that are eternally destructive. Let me be very clear on something. May we serve Jesus Christ because we love Him and because He loves you and me. That's why I want to serve Him. I don't want this all to be about living in fear. A lot of people have done that. I'm not talking about that. I want you to trust Him. I want to trust Him because of who He is and what He's done for us. And He's done so much. I want to serve Jesus because I'm in love with Him and because He's my Lord and I love, the, I love the fellowship that I have with Him and I don't want anything coming in the way of that. I don't want, I don't want anything coming in between me and Him. I, I, don't want to, I don't want to deal with the destruction that could come in this life because of sin. But I don't want to break that relationship with Him. You know what the worst thing in hell is? The worst thing in hell is not the darkness. And by the way, it is dark. People say, well, we're going to have a party in heaven. It's going to be a dark party. And it's not going to be a party atmosphere. Well, I'm going to hang with my friends. You won't because you're going to be so, that person is going to be so miserable suffering. But you know, the, the worst thing in hell is not the flames. It's not the darkness. 
seems kind of strange you think of flames, but it's dark. The Bible says it's dark, perpetually dark. The worst thing in hell is the separation from God. That's the worst thing in hell. The hopelessness of hell. That for eternity, this is my lot. For eternity, this is, this is what? It's too late. There's no chance now. That's the worst thing. I'll never be able to have that relationship with him. Serve him because you love him. Don't serve him simply to escape hell, but please remember that when we choose our will over his will, there will be eternal consequences. Let me say that again. When we choose our will over his will, there will be eternal consequences. Without going into much detail and certainly with no pictures, a number of years ago, before I knew almost any of you, Somebody did something to someone very close to me, wounded them deeply, and I did not want to forgive them. <clears throat> absolutely, absolutely did not. To. I wanted a pound of flesh. I wanted them to come on their hands and their knees and beg me for forgiveness, and then maybe I would give it to them. I relished in my anger and bitterness towards that person for months. I delighted in it. And it seems like as I was reading through my devotions, the Lord kept bringing me back to, if you do not forgive others, my Father in heaven will not forgive you. And then, and then you come to the Lord's prayer, forgive us our trespasses as we, as, as we forgive those who have sinned against us. There's a correlation between, and I remember, I didn't want to forgive this person. I didn't want to extend grace. I wanted a pound of flesh. I wanted five pounds of flesh. But I forgave in part two reasons. Number one, he gave me grace more than sufficient to extend to them. I didn't have it, but he gave it to me to give to them. And secondly, I didn't want to go to hell. Because I know that if I die and I'm not forgiven, I will die in my sins, and I could very well face an eternity in hell separated from God. There's consequences there's consequences to our actions. If we know that something is wrong and we choose to do it, you see, there's the person who is outside of Christ has no control over sin. They're bound by sin. They're going to sin because they're sinners. But the person who is in Christ does, is not forced to sin. They choose to sin. That's very important. Some of you think, I can't help it. Yes, you can. If you're in Jesus, he gives you the power to escape it. The person who's outside of Christ, they can't help it. They're going to continue to sin. But the person who's in Christ chooses to sin. And if we continue to make those choices that are contrary to God's word, that are violations of his principles, then we're in danger of hell. Second Thessalonians chapter 1, verses 8 and 9 tells us this. God will punish those 
who do not know God and do not obey the gospel of our Lord Jesus. They will be punished with everlasting destruction and they will be shut out from the presence of the Lord and from the majesty of His power. Oh, that's so serious. I don't like these verses on hell. I don't like them. I'm telling you, I don't like them. There's <coughs> a part of me that would just say, all right, you're a sinner and you die and you just suffer for a little while and then it goes away. There's a false teaching out there that says that. It's not biblical. There's a part of me that says, well, you just go to dirt and everyone else goes to heaven. You're either dirt or you're heaven. <laughs> but that's not gospel. The reality of hell warns me. And the reality of hell moves me to action. Every person you will encounter today, every person you know or ever will know, will live forever in either heaven or hell. Every person. There are no do-overs. There's no such thing as reincarnation. The Bible says it's appointed unto people to die one time, and then comes the judgment. There's no dirt, just becoming dirt. No extinguishing of the person. That eternal part will live forever. Every person you encounter today, every person you know or ever will know, will experience life in ways greater than anything this world could ever offer in heaven. Every person will either experience life in ways greater than anything this world could ever offer, or they will suffer in ways greater than any earthly suffering ever recorded. Last night, Joni and I were at an event. And I was just looking around the room during the intermission, and I, I just thought, it was, just, it was overwhelming. It was, I'm not making a judgment call because I don't, I don't know people's hearts. But I'm just looking around the room, and I'm thinking, how many are on their way to heaven, and how many are on their way to hell? Every one of them are this far from eternity. Every one of them, Right? I, I preached a couple of years ago that we're that we're we're less than this far from eternity because it's that's the that's the width of a blood vessel in your head that if that goes, you're dead in seconds. We're this far from eternity. Every one of us. Every one of us. I don't care your age, your health, your status, your wealth, your your poverty, doesn't matter. You're this far from eternity. And I wondered how many of these people who are this far from eternity are on their way to heaven and how many are on their way to hell. Talking with a friend of mine several years ago, I'd preached on, uh, I'd preached on the return of Jesus Christ. And afterwards, my friend told me, he said, I, I look forward to Jesus' return, but I hope he doesn't come soon. I said, Why? Because I have a child who's far from Christ right now, and if Jesus returns, I'm fearful that they will go into a Christless eternity.
And I think many of us are there. We have siblings or children or spouses, parents, grandchildren, close friends, people we hang around with. And if they were to die, we just don't know. Ultimately, only God does, and yet Jesus said, broad and wide is the path that leads to destruction. Many find it. Narrow is the path that leads to eternal life. A few find it. Oh, this is not a fun message to preach. But it, it serves to move us to action. It's not just a statement on a wristband or on, in the foyer or on a bulletin or on the outside wall of a church. But it's why hell is one of the reasons why we love God. We love people and we share Jesus Christ. Because without us sharing Jesus Christ with those who are headed for hell, then they will indeed end up in hell if they don't know him. Very sobering. There are people that you know and love. My prayer is that this message will move us to action so that they will know. I've been praying for a family member of mine for <clears throat> over 30 years. Betty Schick has prayed with me for many years for a few family members. Seems like they're further from Jesus now, and I pray, oh God, don't let them die, because I want to see them in heaven. I don't want them to go to hell. So we keep praying. Keep sharing. I want to do two things <clears throat> this morning before I close. Um, one is I want us to uh, I want us to see the promise of the verse that we saw earlier. Go ahead and put that up, would you, Peter? For God so loved the world, He gave His one and only Son so that whoever believes in Him shall not perish, but will have eternal life. I want you to see that verse and I want you to pray that verse in just a moment. Before we do that, I want to give you an opportunity. You see, it would be so improper to share this message without giving you the opportunity to respond. I don't know where you are in your heart. Really, only you and God do. But this morning, if you are fearful that if you were to die in these moments ahead, 
If you were to die today, if you're fearful of going to hell, I want to give you the opportunity to respond. To respond not just for what you escape, but for what you get. I'm grateful I'm not going to hell. But I'm so grateful. And I know that. I know that beyond a shadow of a doubt. I'm on my way to heaven. But I'm also grateful for this. What he gave me when I gave him my life. He gave me peace, forgiveness of my sins. He gave me hope. He gave me encouragement. He gave me healing. He delivered me from so many things. Oh, and by the way, I also, I'm not going to hell. So this morning, I'm going to pray with you. If there's anyone here today, in fact, I would like you to do this. Would you, would you cross this room? Would you just bow your heads, please? Close your eyes. Everyone, bowing your heads and closing your eyes. But this morning, if you're not sure, but you want to be sure, if you want to be sure that you're going to heaven, because you are in Him. I want you to do two things. First of all, I want you to lift up your heads, open your eyes. A couple of things, several things. Lift your heads, open your eyes, lift your hand so that I can see you here in the room. And I want to pray with you. This is one of the most important things that I can do today. In fact, it is. Right now. Is there anyone here in this room that would say, I just want to be sure. I want to, I want to know that I'm going to heaven. So you lift up your head, open your eyes, lift up your hands, catch my eye. When you see me acknowledge you, then you can put it down. But is there anyone here? Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Is there anyone else? your head's continuing to be bowed and your eyes closed would you pray this prayer with me pray it out loud even if you've prayed it before just pray this very simple prayer pray it out loud Lord Jesus thank you for speaking to me today I believe your word I believe that you died for me, that you rose from the dead to give me new life. I surrender my life to you. Come into my heart and forgive me. Wash away all my sins. Make me clean. I give my life to you today. I want to go to heaven. I want to escape hell. I want you to be my Lord 
and my Savior. Give me the assurance of salvation so that I know that I'm in you. Change my life starting today. In Jesus' name, amen. This morning, I want now you can go ahead and lift up your eyes. And Peter, I want you to put that verse up there again, would you? That John 3, 16 verse, thank you. Um, if you just prayed that prayer for the first time, then I want you to know, understand what happened. First of all, Jesus has come in. Um, he, doesn't, he never forces himself upon us. He's come in and he's beginning to change you. You are saved in this moment. You are now, the, the, the track has changed. You are now headed to heaven. I don't know when that's going to be, but that is your future. That is your future now. But more than that, you also have your, the Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. And he's going to continue. He's going to, he started because you, you asked him to come in. He never forces himself. You asked him to come in and he's going to clean you. He's going to, he's, he's already forgiven you. He's going to deliver you from some things. He's going to lead you into new things that you've never experienced before. Now I want to pray with the rest of you. You see that verse, God so loved the world, he gave his one and only son. So whoever believes in him shall not perish, but shall have eternal life. There's someone you know, there's someone you know, someone you love deeply, someone you care for very much, and they need to be prayed for right now. Would you stand with me, please, everyone here? Because I believe everyone has someone that they know. If you're a follower of Jesus Christ, you know someone who isn't. If you don't know someone who isn't, then you need to get out because you are salt and light to this world. And if you don't know anybody that's a non-believer, there's something desperately wrong. Because they need to hear it, and they're going to hear it from you. So I want you to fix in your mind at least one person, at least one person, and we're going to pray for them right now. We're going to pray for them right now so that they too will experience new life in Jesus Christ and their, their eternal destination is going to be changed. They will know him. Let's pray for them right now, Lord Jesus. And you can go ahead and just pray out loud. Just pray for them. Listen, uh, say their name uh, just as, as we agree together in prayer. Lord, right now I just pray and I thank you. I thank you, Jesus, for your the ways in which you've spoken to us this day. And now, Lord, we pray for that person. We pray for them by name. I pray, Lord, we pray for them by name right now. We pray for, and we also pray for, and we pray, Jesus, that they would know you. I pray that you'll give me more opportunities to share with them. I pray that you'll bring them back to my heart, my mind, again and again, so that I will demonstrate to them your presence in my life, that they will know there's something different in me, that I will take this message out, that I will love you, that I will love people, and I will share Christ with them. I, 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 we, we will take no delight in talking about hell it is a reality, but we talk about it as a warning, not with delight, not with glee, not with <clears throat> vengeance, but with certainty, knowing that there are so many people that are going, but we're going to do something about it in the time that we have. Or we don't know when we're going to go to be heaven, but before we get there, Lord, may we, may we take as many people with us as we can. This is our prayer, Lord, that we would all not only be there, but that we would bring someone with us. Thank you, Lord. We love you and we thank you for giving yourself so that we might have eternal life through you in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's sing this together. You're all I need. You're all I want. And then we're going to close in prayer. 
of eternal life through you. I thank you, Lord, that we don't need to live in the fear and the dread of hell because the power of hell is broken. Thank you, Jesus, for dying on that cross for us. Because of that, this week is going to be different. You're going to give us the strength to face whatever we encounter this week. We are overcomers through the name of Jesus. We are victorious in the name of Jesus. We will not be defeated by sin because of the power in the name of Jesus, because of your powerful presence in our lives. Thank you, Jesus, for what you're going to accomplish in us and through us in these coming days. So I ask your blessing, powerful blessing upon my brothers and sisters here this day. In Jesus' name. Amen. God bless you. Go in the power and the presence of the Lord Jesus Christ. As always, these altars are open.